who's wanted to have your own podcast, but you just didn't know where to start. I know that it used to be me until I uh, was told about Anchor.fm. Anchor FM is one of the best podcasting platforms out there because it's free. They help you with distribution, getting onto all the various podcasting platforms. They have tools for editing and for creating all the podcasts. Uh, and they even have monetization tools. It's a really, really great app and website. I highly recommend it. If you want to get your own podcast going, go and download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. I can't recommend them highly enough. So download that free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm so you can get started making your own podcast. Welcome to Filter. This is a Christian worldview podcast where we seek to equip you to live with biblical clarity in our chaotic world. My name is Aaron Champ. I'm the host, and I'm really excited to be bringing to you today uh, this conversation that I got to have with Ben Malcolmson. Ben is an incredible guy that I got to meet uh, a couple weeks ago whenever I was in Phoenix for a leadership retreat. Uh, ben works as the chief of staff for uh, the head coach of the Seattle Seahawks, who is, uh, as many of you might already know, Pete Carroll. Uh, ben has a really incredible story of not only just how he came to work for Coach Pete Carroll, um, but also uh, that, that stage of life that he was in in, uh, in college whenever he was at USC and met Coach Carroll, um, and all the different things and experiences that God led him through. You know, I think it's really uh, great for us to take in the stories of other people uh, occasionally so that we can get to see through their life how God was working in them often through many ways and circumstances that they didn't even recognize at the time. Uh, but how by looking at their life, uh, we get to get a little bit of inspiration and encouragement to look back at our own life and see how, you know, throughout our past, God was working in all these different ways that we didn't realize it at the time. We may have even been doubting that he was working in our life, but all along he was in fact there and he was working in us because scripture promises us that God is always with us and that uh, he is committed to our growth and character and uh, godliness and that he is committed to transform us uh, into um, people who look more and more like Jesus Christ up until the time that he takes us to be with him uh, in heaven. And so uh, we got to uh, do some of that in this conversation. Look back at somebody's story to get some encouragement and inspiration from it. And uh, Ben is just an incredible guy to get to do that with. Uh, this conversation was based off of a book that Ben wrote, which is called Walk On. Uh, I'll have that linked in the show notes. And so let me encourage you after you watch this video to go and check out the show notes for highlights and resources related to or mentioned in the episode so that you can get um, access to all those different things so that you can pick up a copy of Ben's book. And especially if you like this episode, if you found it encouraging, would you be sure to uh, share it with somebody that matters to you? Share it with them so they can be encouraged as well. And especially would you subscribe to our show and, uh, and share filter with your friends and family and everyone that you uh, want to share it with. And so thank you so much for joining us for this conversation today. I hope that you enjoy uh, this uh, dialogue that I got to have with Ben Malcolmson. Ben Malcolmson, welcome to the podcast. Great to be with you, Aaron. Thanks for having me. Yeah, well, I really appreciate you making the time to uh, join us and have a conversation for uh, for our audience here on Filter. I think it's going to be great. Uh, I know that I've really been looking forward to it. Uh, just to get us started off, why don't you tell us, uh, like, what is your title? What do you do for a living? Yeah, so I'm, I'm Coach Pete Carroll. He's the head coach of the Seattle Seahawks. I'm his uh, kind of right-hand chief of staff, um, and I've been with him for the last 14 years um, in, in more or less the same role. Um, it's, it's, he's been my only boss since I graduated college, and mm. uh, it's, it's been awesome to, to be alongside of him all these years. Yeah. Uh, so is it, uh, are you contractually obligated to be a Seahawks fan then? <laughs> I mean, it, I want, I want success because the, the better they do, the, the longer he keeps working. So, yeah. um, obviously I'm, I'm cheering for the Seahawks. That makes sense. You know, so me, I'm in South Louisiana and so I'm a diehard Saints fan. So I want you to know, just for you, Ben, I'm drinking out of my uh, Saints mug this morning. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Hey, you got to root for the team that you're, you're affiliated with. Um, so, I mean, I, I didn't grow up a Seahawks fan by any means. So. 
And, and I like to root for the best. And we've got Drew Brees. And he's awesome. And in my opinion, he is the GOAT. Uh, he is. So uh, anyway, so I wanted to start there. Um, so chief of staff uh, for, for Coach Pete Carroll, one of the most famous, well-known NFL coaches. Um, you know, for our audience, Ben and I met uh, a couple weeks ago in Phoenix at a uh, – I was in town. Ben is living in Phoenix now. Uh, or, or you're in Gilbert, right? Yeah, right, right outside, outside of Phoenix. Phoenix. Yeah. And uh, so I was down there for a leadership retreat. We met over there. And uh, he was hanging out with me and the other guys for a whole morning, um, but didn't exactly tell anyone what he did. Now, I knew because Alan told me ahead of time, like, hey, I've got this guy coming. And whenever I, you were there, I put two and two together. Um, but the other guys didn't know. And so whenever they were making small talk with you, you never said anything until at lunch, uh, Alan said, hey, Ben, why don't you go ahead and share your story? So he stood up and said, you know, you shared your title, what you do. And, and everybody at the table was shocked. You know, <laughs> my favorite reaction was from one of the guys who, his name was Andrew, fantastic guy. He, his face was just a, a combination of, uh, of like almost betrayal and being shocked when he, <laughs> he looked at you and he screamed, you told me you work in communications. <laughs> it was just, it was so funny. But, uh, but yeah, so obviously, you know, you, you've got a pretty cool, unique job. Tell us like, what is a typical day or week like? in the life of being coach Pete Carroll's chief of staff. Yeah. I mean, it's, there's no typical day. Every day is so unique. Uh, someone like him, who's got the energy of a, a teenager and he's got the capacity to do a million different things. So um, the, the purpose of my job is to oversee all the things he does um, mostly away from the football field. So charity, business, um, media, communication, um, he's got projects in academia, um, publishing all over the place. So it, just anything that, that touches Coach Carroll in terms of um, what he's up to in the world, um, I, I get to oversee that. So um, it's been awesome. It's been so fun. Um, I, my, my role in the last year or so shifted. Um, I was working side by side with him at the Seahawks. So I was overseeing the football stuff and his off-field stuff too. And uh, we split that role and hired someone to take the on-field part and the football side of it. Um, and I transitioned out and with COVID going on, everything went remote. And so it opened mm. us up to be able to move um, to a place with way better weather than Seattle. So mm. we moved down here recently. Yeah, that's great. And so uh, what was it like whenever you were working the on-field side too? Uh, what, what was part of your job description and responsibilities whenever you were working for him both in his uh you know side projects and his personal stuff but then also the on-field side too yeah so that was a seven day a week job you're, you're every single day with the the team so you're running the meetings um getting practice uh film all that kind of stuff um and then game days travel all that um so that was a seven day a week job and, and when i got married a few years ago um, it didn't, they, those two didn't go very well together, <laughs> marriage mm. and, and working a, a seven day a week job yeah. where I was traveling every weekend. So, um, I'm really thankful for this new role, um, as of two years ago and, um, just the capability to, to be more present with my wife now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's fantastic. Well, I'm happy for you to hear that. Uh, so in your book where you tell your story, uh, and, of uh, how you, uh, came to, meet coach Carroll and eventually start working for him, uh, share just a little bit more story about your life. Uh, you actually start the book with what I would uh, imagine for most sports fans is like one of the first questions that you get asked every time that somebody finds out you work for coach Carroll, which is that Super Bowl right? <laughs> and that Super Bowl play. Uh, I, I was, I was surprised whenever I, I read your book and I saw right there in the introduction, you, you share that story. And so, uh, you know, for sports fans who, who, who followed the NFL, they already know what I'm talking about. But why don't you tell us about, uh, about that Super Bowl, the, uh, how that game ended, and then what it was like in the locker room and what you saw in Coach Carroll and learned uh, through that experience. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I don't like talking about it, but I, and I know it's good to talk about. My counselor says it's always therapeutic to talk this stuff out. So. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, but we're, I mean, we're talking about Super Bowl 49 when uh, the Seahawks uh, were defending Super Bowl champs and we're playing the Patriots and uh, come all the way down to the one yard line with 20 seconds left. You need a touchdown to win the game. 
and uh, have the, one of the greatest running backs in the history of football, Marshawn Lynch, in the backfield. Mm-hmm. And second down, 20 seconds left, and uh, quarterback Russell Wilson throws a pass, and it gets intercepted uh, there on the one-yard line. Uh, it's like the most shocking end of a game, and especially a Super Bowl that you could ever imagine. I mean, that mm-hmm. just never happens. You know, it's you're either going to run the ball and score, or you're going to run the ball and get stopped. And here we pass the ball. So uh, just it, it was a crazy ending, especially to a game of that magnitude after being Super Bowl champs the year before. Uh, to do something pretty historic, it's it's so rare to to win back to back Super Bowls. So um, it was a pretty uh, gut. It was one of those gut punching moments, you know, <laughs> just like wait, yeah. what the heck just happened? Um, and that was a, a very big turning point in a, in a lot of people's lives. Um, there were a lot of players who um, it was tragic for them, you know, as legacies wrapped up in, in winning Super Bowls and all that. Um, but it's also been fascinating to watch Coach Carroll um, be a leader through that um, and to see how he's bounced back over the years. Um, and the team has maintained consistent success since then. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, no Super Bowl since then, but um, it has been incredible because it is really hard to lose a Super Bowl and, and come back the next year. Um, and they've done it for five, six straight years since. Um, so, um, yeah, but that, I mean, that moment was, uh, was pretty shocking all around. And I think anyone who was watching that game will never forget it. And everyone's like, that's the worst play call ever. And, um, mm-hmm. but it's, it's, that's the nature of football. You're trying to catch the other team off guard. And yeah. I mean, obviously the Patriots are thinking, okay, they're going to run the ball. And they put nine players at the line of scrimmage because they know that the Seahawks are going to run the ball. And uh, you're trying to, it's the element of surprise, you know, you're trying to, to trick them and, and get something and, the Patriots player made a play of play of his life and mm-hmm. uh, won the Super Bowl for him. Yeah. Yeah. And like you said, so I think that most sports fans who are watching that game will never forget it. I remember, I remember watching that game. I was rooting for the Seahawks. Um, the Seahawks are one of my favorite teams. I do. I love Russell Wilson um, as a former running back myself, loved watching Marshawn Lynch run the ball. Um, uh, we all remember it, but I think what's really unique and, uh, one of the really special reasons is enjoyable to read your book is because you talked about uh, the locker room experience right after that, how as the main communications guy, you're thinking through what am I going to give to coach Carroll for his talking points uh, for the team, for the media. And so you're, you're working on your, your script, your points for him, um, you know, and he's just wrapped up in the moment, not really interested in that the locker room's dead quiet, except for some of the guys who are just, kind of mourning that moment and coach Carroll walks in to address the players. Uh, tell us what that moment was like. What did, what did he talk about? Uh, and then I think there's a great leadership lesson in there too. Um, so we yeah, can learn about leadership in that moment. Definitely. Yeah. No one else, no one else got to see that except for you and the guys. Yeah, that was really incredible because part of my job was to, to craft kind of his post game talking points to the team. And I mean, I had my talking points lined up for, us winning the game because when you're on the one yard line, <laughs> like you're, you're going to win the game, you know, yeah. and I uh, had to throw those notes away and craft new notes. And when I handed them to him, obviously he's dejected and just lost the game a couple minutes earlier. And he just threw him to the ground. He didn't, he didn't need him. He didn't want him. And uh, he just walks out to the middle locker room and there's all the players looking around him. A lot of guys very, very grieved. And I, I'm like, curious like what's he gonna say you know like what could you possibly say in this moment mm-hmm. and i'm sure everyone's thinking the same thing like what could you possibly say in this moment and he gets up there and he goes guys i'm sorry i'm really really sorry if you're gonna point fingers at anyone in here you point them at me right here i'm sorry and he just he like took all the blame and just kind of laid on the grenade um and he's not the one who threw the pass. He's not the one who ran the route. He's not even the one who called the play, but because he was the leader, he took all the blame and that leadership moment right there. I'll never forget. And I'm sure I'll have moments the rest of my life. I'm sure your, your listeners out there will have moments like that uh, wherever they're at in their journeys, where even if you aren't the one who committed the act, whatever it was, but if you're the leader, and you take that blame, man, like 
it just alleviated all this pressure and all this, yeah. it was like an emotional release right away where the hundred guys in that room, the players and the coaches, everyone's like, Oh wow. Like he's taking this burden that I'm feeling right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, it began the healing process in those moments. And that was really, really powerful. Yeah. That's incredible. It shows the power of good leadership. Right. And I think that that leadership lesson, um, which is taking responsibility for wherever you're, you're, you're called to lead uh, is so huge. Um, Not just what it means for your character, but like you were pointing out what it can do for the people under your leadership. And so that applies to people who, you know, maybe you're not head coach, uh, but maybe you're leading a family. And so whenever there's disorder in your family, taking responsibility for that disorder, maybe you're leading a business, a church, or a small group at a church, and just looking at your life and whatever God has given you, uh, given to your care to be, you know, like a manager for him and taking responsibility for that. And just uh, the character development that that creates in you. And then also, like you were saying, how it can lead to some freedom, some confidence, and even healing for whatever things go wrong for the people who are under your leadership. Amen. Exactly. Yeah. And and the humility that shows too, or um, like just the power of humility. It's just, it's like cascading effect is unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. So in your book, Walk On, you talk about uh, the story of how you, you came to uh, uh, meet Coach Carroll and what eventually then led to you working for him. It's a really unique, uh, inspiring story. Uh, why don't you tell us about your, your Walk On story? Yeah. So I was a student at USC, University of Southern California, uh, out in Los Angeles. And uh, just a, a normal student, you know, just trying to find my way through college. And I changed my major four times and just couldn't figure out what I wanted to do with my life. Um, I, a lot of college students struggle with that. You know, it's like, man, I don't know what I want to be when I graduate college. You know, like, I don't know what I want to be next week, you know. <laughs> so um, it's really hard to, like, plan out your life when you're 18, 19 years old. Um, and so I changed my major a bunch. I couldn't figure it out. And then it hit me one day that I loved watching sports center and I love sports. And so I was like, well, what's the closest way I can get to sports since I wasn't good enough to play sports. So how could I, how could I get as close to sports as possible? And I was like, I should try to be a journalist, like a sports writer. And maybe I could get a career in, in sports journalism. Uh, I mean, you see the guys on ESPN and, and all that. I'm like, maybe I could be one of those guys someday. So I uh, enrolled in the journalism program and that became a major and uh, part of the major was that you had to write for the school newspaper, the Daily Trojan. And I go and sign up and uh, I was like, I knew I needed to be in sports. So I, I signed up for the sports section and, and they assigned me to cover women's volleyball. And I had never watched a women's volleyball match in my life. So I'm like, holy cow, like how am I supposed to cover a sport I don't know anything about? Yeah. So I'm like, I'm doing a crash course on like volleyball and Wikipedia page on what is ball? How does the volleyball scoring work? You know, like all of that. Mm-hmm. And I was a fish out of water. Here I am trying to be like the expert on volleyball, writing stories about them, but I knew nothing. So a couple of weeks into this assignment, I get a call from the sports editor and I was like, Oh boy, I'm going to get fired here. You know, <laughs> like I, I, I did such a poor job. He's like, Hey, I've been reading your stuff. You've been, you've been doing a really good job. Uh, actually I'd like to promote you to cover the football team. Would you be interested? And before he could even finish asking the question, I was like, yes, I'm in, count me in, like, let's go. I, I want to do a sport I actually know about and I'm a fan of. And, and so for the next three years, uh, my sophomore, junior and senior year, I got to cover the football team at USC. And this was the glory years of USC. So it was the mid 2000s and it was Reggie Bush, Matt Leiner, Heisman trophies. Um, and they won 34 straight games during those, during those years there. Wow. Um, I got to, that was my job in college was to cover the team. So I got to go to every home and away game. Uh, I went to two Heisman Trophy ceremonies, three national championship football games as my job. You know, like I was getting paid, it was pennies, but I was getting paid as a college student to go do this stuff. Mm-hmm. So I was living a dream, you know, this was like, uh, this was my dream job and I hadn't even graduated college yet. So I was loving it. It was an amazing experience. And I was um, about to graduate. You know, I was, I was geared up to graduate spring of my senior year. And I needed to write my last article for the football team. And in the springtime, there's not many football things going on. You have spring practice. But other than that, like, that's only a couple of weeks. So I needed to find something unique and a unique angle. And 
I was going to do a story on walk-ons, the, the end of the bench guys, the, the non-scholarship players. And there's, I mean, there's 85 scholarship players on a division one football team. And there's about 15 walk-ons and those walk-ons, they never get articles written about them, you know? So I was like, okay, this will be a cool, unique angle. I'll shine some light on these guys that don't get any attention. So I start interviewing those guys and then it hits me that I saw this ad saying there's walk-on tryouts coming up. So I was like, I'll take it a step further and interview the guys that are going to go try out for the football team. Just the average students at USC, they're going to try to make the football team. In that process, it hits me again. I was like, well, I'll take it another step further and I'll go through the tryout myself. And it'll be a first person perspective, bring people on the inside, show how hard this tryout is. And it'll be a joke too, because I'm a sports writer. I'm the, the student newspaper reporter. Uh, it's the number one team in the country. I'm 160 pounds and I haven't played football since fifth grade. You know, it's been 11 years since I played football. Mm -hmm. So this is a total joke. You know, I can make fun of myself, show how hard it is and it'll be something unique and different and we'll see how it goes. And uh, so I go through the tryout. Uh, I have the time of my life. I mean, I'm, I'm trying out for the number one team in the country as a joke, you know, like I had no pressure in the world. This is so fun. Here we go. And uh, I got Pete Carroll yelling at me. I got Steve Sarkeesian, Lane Kiffin. They're yelling at me. They're assistant coaches on that team. Ken Norton Jr., linebacker, who I grew up like idolizing. He's an assistant coach. I mean, this is just crazy. Here I am like running a 40-yard dash for the first time in my life. I'm running a post route as a wide receiver for the first time in my life. Mm -hmm. It was an amazing story. You know, like I was gathering all this incredible content for a story. And I go home that night, start writing my story. And the next morning I get a phone call from a random lady who was like, Hey, is this Ben Malcolmson? And I was like, yes. And she's like, you made the football team. Congratulations. Now I was like, no way. There's no possible way. You know, <laughs> like this is, yeah. this is a joke. I was like, is this a prank call? She's like, no, 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 no. This is legit. You're on the team. And in that moment, my life took a total turn, you know, like all of a sudden, like what the heck this is crazy so there i was all of a sudden and there's a lot more to go in the story but yeah. um there i was all of a sudden this student newspaper reporter turned into a wide receiver on the number one team in the country yeah yeah you talked about how uh in, in the book you talked about how uh you ran from your dorm to you know your bike to get down to campus stormed into coach carroll's office the whole time convinced that it was a prank right that he yeah. was oh totally. that this was that this was some incredible prank that he was pulling on you because you already somewhat knew him right just working as a journalist yeah um I'd so you thought that, a bunch yeah. yeah exactly so you so you thought oh he's he's just pulling a joke on me uh, i mean who, who better to pull a joke on than the the 20 year old student newspaper reporter you know <laughs> like yeah. i was gonna be the classic like youtube prank I, it'll just he'll be making fun of me and yeah. Like you thought you were going to make the team. That's really good. Nice, nice one. And then, I mean, I was, just, it was the, butt, I was a classic butt end of a prank, you know, and mm -hmm. I walk up and there's coach Carroll with a big old grin on his face. And I was like, nice joke, coach. Good one. And he's like, no, 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 no. You can catch the ball. You can run fast. We want you on the team. Are you in? I was like, wait, what? Like you can, you're saying I can catch the ball and run fast. Like you want me on a football team? And he's like, yeah, are you in? I was like, heck yeah, let's go. So there all of a sudden, I get handed a playbook and get my helmet, my pads. And I mean, I didn't know how to read a playbook, you know, <laughs> like the playbook in fifth grade is way different than a division one college football team's playbook. Mm -hmm. So um, it was, uh, yeah, it was, I was a fish out of water for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, that, that's a wild story of just trying to walk on to the number one team in the country. Uh, but on top of that, halfway doing it as a joke, as you said, like, okay, this will be funny, but, but not just as a joke, but, but to try to write a story on it and then accidentally making it onto the team. Um, so it's a wild story, but what did you, what are some lessons that you pulled away from that, that you uh, learned maybe some things that you uh, take away from that, that you've applied to your life since then about that crazy experience? Yeah. Well, I think just the number one thing that comes to my mind is grit. Um, that's something that coach Carroll teaches and preaches and, and exemplifies um, is just grit and it's like passion and perseverance and resilience and having a passion for something, um, having a, a heart and a fire for something, having perseverance, like when you face challenges to, to just endure 
And then resilience, like you're going to face setbacks in life. Um, that, that season I, I dislocated my shoulder. I had to get shoulder surgery. Um, had to go through grueling rehab just to get back to the football field. Um, and to be resilient, you know, to overcome those challenges and to bounce back. Um, I learned so much and that shaped me as a person and shaped my character um, to go through hard things. And it stretched me a lot and grew me a lot during that time. Um, so just, the, I think that's the number one thing, but then there's the whole uh, spiritual side of the story that hopefully we're going to get into eventually, but it is, that's the part that has resonated with me the most is the purpose side, that God had mm. a purpose for me. Um, and I couldn't see it in the moment, but God had a purpose for me. And that's something that I take with me to this day, because I'm sure you can relate, Aaron. Like there's times when it's like, I know God has a purpose for me, but I just don't see it right now. Like I just, I'm working hard. I'm, I'm sowing the seed, but I'm not seeing any fruit. And it's just that trust to know that God is at work and that he does have a purpose, whether I can see it or not in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. And we definitely are going to be getting into that purpose that God had for you, uh, which is the later part of your story. Um, but I think that there's some of the earlier parts of your story that are really interesting that you talk about in the book that, that all shaped and led up to that, that shaped you and helped lead up to that moment where you tried out for the team made the team and then endured with actually being on the team and all these things um, uh, that, that really impact that, that purpose. You know, I think that God was preparing you all along. And so in the book, you, uh, you kind of do a, like a flashback and then start working your way back through the story. And uh, you talk about how in your life, you were, um, you were no stranger to adversity and uh, just in your life as a child growing up and then, going to college, bringing some of the baggage from your childhood, uh, you had to overcome a lot of uh, hardships and obstacles. And so uh, if you just want to share some, you know, what are some of those hardships and obstacles that you had to overcome as a, as a child and then going into college and uh, finding some of the baggage from those things? What were some of those hardships and um, how did you start to overcome them? Yeah, I grew up... Uh in Texas Bible belt, uh, right down the street from you, basically <laughs> a couple hours away. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so I grew up and from the, from the outside, it looked like, Oh, we got the perfect family, two parents, two kids. Um, but, uh, at home, my, my mom struggled with alcoholism a lot. And, uh, that was my whole childhood. Um, she really struggled with alcohol and, uh, affected our childhood a lot because in a lot of ways, my brother and I, um, didn't really have a mom, you know, she was, uh, just dealing with that, uh, most of our days. My dad worked a lot. Um, he provided for the family, but he, he was working a ton. And so, um, just, there was a lot of things that were missed in those gaps there. And so growing up, my brother and I, um, just, we had to figure it out, you know, and, um, uh, that kind of, put me as a lone wolf in a sense. Like I, I felt like I, it was like, I got to figure this out on my own. I got to survive. And, um, I gotta, I gotta do this, you know, and, and that lone wolf mentality, it, it, it helped me survive, but it didn't help me thrive because we're not made to be lone wolves. You know, like we're made to be in community. We're made to be connected to other people. Mm. And so when I got to college with this lone wolf mentality, um, I had survived to the point of getting to college, but I was not thriving. And that's when I really woke up to the power of community and to the power of letting other people into my life and sharing my scars and sharing my wounds. Um, and that, that transformed my life. And really, if, if I couldn't let other people in, I couldn't let Jesus in, you know, like, mm-hmm. so I was lone wolf in every sense of the word. And I knew, I knew God and I knew, I knew about Jesus, but I, I didn't let him in, you know, because mm. I, I couldn't share this stuff, you know, like, yeah. and so um, I was missing out. And it wasn't until I was 18 years old, a freshman in college, when I started to realize, holy cow, like, I can't bear these burdens alone. And uh, that's when my life really started to change, um, getting out of that perspective and, and letting people in and living in a community and, and being vulnerable and open um, in that. I, I experienced healing and transformation in those moments. Yeah. 
You also talked about how some of the, the baggage that you brought from your childhood going through, uh, through your experiences uh, was um, a perfectionism and uh, somewhat of, I don't know if you use these words, but the way I read it was like a, a need for control. Yeah. Uh, not necessarily others, but like just to be able to like have control over your, your own life, your own space, um, and also a fear of rejection. Yeah. But you're constantly put into situations and like you, looking back now, you see how is God leading you? God was driving you into all these situations where you were having to face uh, each one of those issues, the perfectionism, the fear of rejection and so on. But then you're called to take courageous choices uh, to, to face those issues. Uh, what did you learn about taking courageous choices and, you know, what are maybe some lessons that people could uh, uh, take from that? Yeah, I think you, you just nailed it there. It's like, it's the need for control because I, I had so little control in my, my environment growing up um, just with the, the way my mom was. And so I needed to control everything I could possibly can control. And so that was like, okay, I'm going to be perfect with everything I do in school and sports in journalism, whatever it is, I'm going to be perfect. And it was crushing because mm -hmm. we're not made to be perfect. You know, like we're not made to be robotic machines who just produce perfect stuff every time. Mm -hmm. uh, we're made to be real, you know, we're made to be whole and we're made to be loved and a perfect machine is you can't love a perfect machine. You know? So um, there, there's got to be the, the rough edges that we let others in on. Um, and so that like, man, I just, and it's something it's, you're like a recovering perfectionist, you know, like I'm still yeah. recovering from that years and years later. Um, and it's, it's real, but it, it's like, it takes those steps of like stepping out of who you're, you're used to being because like you get so comfortable being a perfectionist, you get so comfortable mm -hmm. trying to have control over everything, but you've got to take those steps, those uncomfortable steps out of who you're used to being and into something that's new and different and creating a, a better version of yourself through Jesus, you know, like through mm -hmm. a, a renewed transformed version of yourself. Yeah. Um, and, but you, it's so easy to just sit back and like, okay, I, I've gotten pretty good at like putting this outer shell on. I've gotten pretty good at being a perfectionist. Um, and I'll just keep living life this way, but like you're missing out, you know, like I was missing out so much and I needed to be pushed into these moments where, Holy cow, I screwed up in being a sports editor for the school newspaper. I screwed up one time and it crushed me in those moments because man, I wasn't a perfectionist and it's in print, you know, like everyone can see it. And like uh, God had to push me to those points to, to break me of that and to be surrendered and free um, and whole in him. And uh, yeah. And it, it takes those like courageous steps. Like you're mentioning of like in the moment, it doesn't really feel like courage. It feels like you're crazy, you know, and like stepping off a cliff, but um, it, it's, it's so worth it. Cause he catches you every time. Yeah, that's great. And, and I, as I'm listening to talk through this and, and, you know, like I said, in reading the book, one of the things that I'm drawing from it is how often we, um, we look at our current life and the things we're going through right now. And we wonder like, is God there? Is God still at work in my life? What is he doing right now? And truth be told, it's, almost always impossible to really know in the moment, right? Yes. Like that's just yeah. how it is because we have to live on, on faith in the moment. Yep. But whenever we look back at our life, which is one of the beauties of reading uh, a memoir from a Christian, you know, and it's, it's like a story from you. Um, whenever we look back on our life, we can see God at work in every step. Amen. And so, you know, like, so scripture tells us, um, like you were pointing out, like uh, being broken so that we can see our need for him, uh, letting go of old things that used to define us so we yeah. can embrace his definition, identity for us, becoming more of who he wants us to be in Christ. Um, you know, so the theological word for all that is sanctification, becoming more like Christ. Um, the Bible tells us that God is always working on our sanctification. Uh, but often if we really want to see it, we need to look back because then we'll get a much clearer picture than trying to see it right now in this moment. And I think that's something that can really strengthen our faith and uh, something that can strengthen our faith, even hearing about it in other people's stories or reading about it like yours. 
Yeah. It's so hard to see God at work like in the moment and to like see his goodness in the moment, but it's infinitely easier to look back and be like, even looking back on yesterday, like, wow, like God was so good in these moments. But when I was going through them, I wasn't, I wasn't acknowledging it. You know, I wasn't aware of it because you're just so caught up in, okay, I got to get to the next thing or I got to figure this out or, and you're like caught up in these moments. But when you look back, we're reminded like, man, God is so good. He's so good to us. And he was in control all along. And I just, why would I ever doubt, you know, but in the moment it's hard. It's really, really hard. Yeah. So while we're talking, so while we're on the subject, let's talk about something that's not in your book, but that's something I got to hear from you uh, in Phoenix about, which is some strategies for recovering perfectionists, you know, some strategies for people (laughs) who are uh, recovering workaholics. Cause I know that a lot of us out there, a lot of myself included and a lot of our listeners are people who um, we, we tend to struggle with slowing down, getting rest, allowing ourselves to become overworked. Um, and even if it's not, you know, something that applies to any specific individual listening to this or watching this, it's something that's just in our culture a lot. We live in hustle culture, yep. which says that if you're not always producing and not always hustling, then you're not living. Right. And, um, and when we were in Phoenix, you got, you shared with us, I think it was four things that you had discovered and identified that, uh, that keep you healthy, keep you from falling into hustle culture, overwork, perfectionism. And I thought those were excellent. Uh, do you want to share those? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So it's four things that, um, I, I'm still trying to figure out myself, but, um, that I've, I've kind of come to the surface of like, these four things are what helped me stay on track of, of being, in a place of health and wholeness. Um, and number one is play. And so it's playing a sport, playing a game, like a board game, a card game, um, just playing something, playing with your kids or just playing. Because when you play, you're forced to be so focused on the moment. Like you're, all your concentration goes to that one moment. Mm-hmm. And when we're living in the moment, that's when we're truly like living in God's presence because that's why it's called presence, you know, like God's, Mm -hmm. it's not God's future. It's not God's past. It's God's presence. And so a play, like, it's like when, when athletes talk about being in the zone, it's because they're so in the moment that you can't experience anything else. Like you're not thinking about the next game or the last game. You're thinking about that one moment. And so play, we can, we can play every day, you know, like you can play a game, you can go play a sport. Um, you can play with family members, whatever it is. Um, play is a huge aspect of, of finding that health and, and moving away from the hustle life mm-hmm. and moving towards health and wholeness. Uh, number two is learn. I think learning is really huge. Um, and it's not like, okay, go pick up a textbook and learn. It's just opening your eyes and your ears to be able to learn like I want to learn from our time together on this podcast, you know, like I want to learn when I'm at the grocery store, I want to learn about something, you know, whatever it is, like just opening ourselves up. So when we have that perspective of like learning, um, you have this sense of wonder and awe that puts you in the right position in this earth. And it puts you in the right position under God. Mm, Um, And that wonder and awe like instantly is healing because you just, you're like, wow, like, God is so good. He's so big. Mm. He's, he's got me, you know, I don't need yeah, to hustle. Good. Like God's got me. Uh, number three is create. Um, God made us to create, like we're created in the image of God and God is a creator. And so in that image of God, we can fully be who God created us to be by creating. And so that could be writing. Um, that could be drawing. It could be creating music. Um, it's a million different things. It could be baking or cooking dinner, you know, like anything like that, where you take something and you turn into something else is a beautiful expression of creation. And that is you're living into your image of God in those moments. Um, And then the last one is rest, uh, which is obviously the probably the most no brainer of all of them is rest. And that moves you out of this rushing river of hustle and puts you on the shores of, okay, I'm just going to chill. You know, I'm going to do nothing. I'm going to waste time. 
imagine that like when's the last time mm. we wasted time you know yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um but like everything is scheduled out every minute of every day and if i've got five minutes i gotta do something i gotta pull out social media and i gotta check it and i gotta you know it's like mm. no, no no let's just let's waste time you know like let's go sit on the couch and let's watch a 20 minute show or mm. let's go for a walk or let me just lay down on, on my bed and just close my eyes for 10 minutes you know like just something where it removes you from that hustle, hustle, hustle. And it's kind of like, you know what? This is the way to live. I don't mm. need to live the way the world does. I'm not going to conform to the patterns of this world. And uh, that in and of itself um, is huge. Um, so play, learn, create, and rest have been huge for me. Uh, and I try to do each one every day. Um, I don't want it to be like a checkbox thing by any means, but mm -hmm. um, if I can do all four or three or whatever it is every day, I, I know I'm moving in the right direction. That's good. That's great. And so I guess another one, it's not really like a, a fifth thing to add to the list, but maybe like a, a an, an overarching extra word would be rhythm. Yes. Right. Because yes. the four, these four things only operate as they're supposed to within a rhythm that uh, makes sure that they are maintained. And yep. so yep. operating, uh, on a daily and weekly rhythm um, where, where these four things are being integrated. And so I love that. I love that, especially that you included that at the end that you try to do that every day. Um, so I think that's good. Cause I know like, you know, maybe some people might say, okay, so I'll, on my Sabbath day, I'll rest, but then the rest of the week yeah. <laughs> it's a 90 or nothing. Right? Yep. And, and no, you, you need to rest every day. You can't work from sunrise to sundown. Yep. Uh, neglecting your family like there's a time whenever you stop you play um, you become curious I love especially how you describe learning as wonder and awe um, because I think that one so like one one trap that I've often fallen to that I've discovered other people do too is um, I found myself even in times wherever I'm um, like learning like you're talking about not for work or school but just like on the side just for fun learning or, or or sometimes even in my play i'm trying to identify things that are like productive that i can yeah. use for something that are still still somewhat checking off a box yeah so i love how you described learning as wonder and awe yep because maybe you're 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 learning something or being enriched in your mind and it leads you to awe that's not checking off a box right? Like you can't check off the box of be in awe today. Yeah. <laughs> it's something, it's one of those things like being happy. Like you can't just say, I'm going to be happy today. Yeah. Instead you have to pursue something else that then indirectly leads to happiness. And yes. so, right. So like you were saying, you have to, um, you know, pursue God's wonder as revealed in the world somehow. So, you know, yeah. watching a, one of David Attenborough's documentaries, <laughs> You know, so learning, pursuing God's creation, and then that leads to the awe. Yes. Um, and you're right, because all wonder and awe is so healing. One of the things that really surprised me about becoming a parent um, was witnessing in my children, um, you know, so I have two, so now I've been able to watch this twice now, but witnessing in your children um, just how their whole world for those first few years is filled with wonder and oh, all like yeah. you're talking about because they're witnessing everything for the first time yes. and so you know like almost every parent talks about how like oh yeah my baby loves the fan you know just ceiling <laughs> fans they love them they stare at them and all the things that we just take for granted in our world uh, yeah you know, like like a night where the moon is shining extremely bright like they just they stare at it and you can see in their face it's blowing their mind yeah <laughs> and and it made me realize especially like witnessing that with my first child like I should still feel that way. Yeah. Childlike like these, faith. Like yes. all these things that, that my daughter is witnessing and it, like her mind is just blown away by them. It's still just as incredible. Yes. It's not yes. any less incredible because I've been around it longer. Yes. Um, and so I love that you described it that way. So those are some great rhythms that I think we could all apply. But these are all things that shaped you over the years um, and some lessons that you learned in college their experience of becoming a walk-on, but there's a point where um, when you're on the team and you felt that God was calling you to really be there for a purpose beyond just an article, but a purpose for him. And so you felt called to do something that you thought was uh, another crazy idea or a little radical, but you <laughs> followed God through. Um, 
and there were some surprising results. So why don't you tell us that part of the story? Yeah. So when I made the team, I had this sense that God had me there for a purpose. Um, it was way deeper, way bigger than just writing an article or just being a wide receiver on the team, that there was something God had me there for. So I was pressing into it from day one. You know, I was, uh, just, I couldn't wait. I was a zealous 21 year old. So excited to, to see what God had for me on that team. And I got an idea. I'll start a Bible study for the team. Maybe that's my purpose in being on this team. So I, I got a lesson ready. I told all my teammates, I put flyers up around the locker room and the time came for our first Bible study and no one showed up. I was the only one in there. I was like, man, like I thought I had a purpose here. Come on, God, like what the heck? And so I had wrestled with discouragement there and, and doubting and questioning. And a couple weeks later, I got an idea. I'll start a prayer group for the team. So, okay, the Bible study failed, but the prayer group, that's the answer. So I told all my teammates, made flyers, put them up around the locker room. Time comes for our first prayer meeting. No one showed up. So here I am twice as discouraged, twice as defeated. Like, God, like, why did you put me on this team? If everything I'm doing for you is failing, like, come on, God, like, help me out here. So then I was reading in Matthew five, it says, let your light shine before men. And it hit me right there. It's like, I was trying to like do all these things and God's just telling me to be a light. So it hits me and I'm like, okay, I just need to be a light. I'll just be a light to my teammates and God will work through that. And I'll see his purpose for me in those moments. So I, I focus, okay, I'm going to be a light today. And I, the next day I'm going to be a light today. I'm just going to be a light. I'm going to be a great friend, love my teammates. Well, and after weeks and weeks and weeks of being a light, I'm seeing no fruit. I'm like, God, like, what the heck? Like, I thought I had a purpose on this team. The Bible study failed. The prayer group failed. Being a light sure looks like it's failing. Like, God, what's going on here? And at this point, we're towards the end of the season. You know, like, I'm running out of time. I only had that one season to be on the team. So, God, like, you got to show up here. Like, my, my time's running out. I was reading Isaiah 55 one morning. And it says, if his word goes out, it will not return empty. And it hit me like a ton of bricks. Okay, if, if God's word goes out, it will not return empty. And I knew God was always faithful to his promise. I was going to take him at his word there. And so being a literal college student, I was going to be like, okay, I'm going to put his word out there. I'm going to put Bibles out there and they're not going to return empty. So I called my grandfather, shared this idea with him. I wanted to give a Bible to every single one of my teammates because it was not going to return empty. Like God's mm -hmm. word says that. Yeah. So I, I, my grandfather sends a hundred Bibles and uh, I, I couldn't wait to put them in every single one of my teammates lockers. Cause this was my purpose. I'd been through all those failures, all that discouragement, but this was my purpose on the team. And I went in middle of the night uh, the last week we were together on the team and put a note in every single Bible. that said the greatest gift you will ever receive the gift of Jesus Christ. Merry Christmas. So I placed one in every single locker I was, this was anonymous. I was tired of being the, the Christian guy trying to have an impact. So this one was going to be totally under the cloak of night. And, uh, I'm sure you got him. Nobody knew. <laughs> no one knew. Yeah. No one knew. Who was you. No one could have guessed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, the, the next morning I show up and I'm, I'm fully expecting God to reveal his purpose. You know, like I'm going to walk in and there's going to be gold light emanating from the locker room. The, the team's going to be singing the holiday chorus, you know, like, my purpose was going to be finally revealed. And I walk into the locker room and there's Bibles just shredded, ripped up all over the floor. Hmm. Couldn't even see the carpet of the locker room because all it was was shredded pages of Bibles everywhere. I was crushed. I mean, this was discouragement beyond belief at this point. I mean, I poured my heart and soul into finding my purpose that fall. And once again, I failed miserably. So I, I just kind of, Threw in the towel, you know, like, okay, I missed my purpose. God, I'm, I'm sorry. You know, like I totally didn't hear you right. And uh, that was that. I was just kind of trudging through the rest of that week. And we were playing in the Rose Bowl on, on New Year's Day. And a few days after the Rose Bowl, I get a, a phone call um, saying, hey, did you hear about Mario? Mario was our kicker on the team. Um, one of my closest friends on the team. I was like, no, what happened to Mario? It's like, oh, no, you didn't hear. Um, Mario died last night. 21 years old, um, mysteriously passed away just a few days after our last game together. And mm -hmm. obviously I was crushed, you know, like beyond, beyond imagination. I was, I had never dealt with death. 
um, especially death of a, a peer. And so this was just heart-wrenching. Um, the grief was unimaginable. I just, I couldn't even fathom what I was going through. On top of all the discouragement, now I'm dealing with grief and death. We go to his funeral a few days later as a team, and we're sitting there in the pews of this tiny little Catholic church. And I'm sitting right on the aisle, and right as the casket passes by, I look up. And through my tears, I see on top of the casket, the Bible that I had placed in his locker just a few days earlier. And I had no idea what it meant at the time, but it just felt like it was God's personal comforting touch for me. I was just like, it was like God had seen me. You know, like it was like God was giving me a hug in that moment. Like, I got you. And it was just, it was the most overwhelmingly encouraging thing I could have imagined in that moment. I had no idea what it meant, but it was just like God had seen me. And maybe I wasn't a failure all along. So then I started working for Coach Carroll at USC shortly thereafter and for three years worked for him at USC. And then he took the job with the Seahawks in 2010, asked me to move up to Seattle to work for him up there. And I moved up to Seattle, not knowing anyone other than Coach Carroll. And so I was like desperate to, to make connections, to meet people. And I, I heard about this thing called Young Life. They needed volunteer leaders for Young Life. So high school mentorship program and the town I was living in uh, needed volunteer leaders. So I was like, sounds cool. And maybe there's other volunteer leaders that are looking for friends too, because I need to make some friends. So I, I show up at this informational meeting for potential volunteer leaders and a former teammate of mine walks to the door and I was like, wait, what the heck? Like Taylor, he was our punter on the team. I hadn't seen Taylor since Mario's funeral four years earlier. I didn't know he lived in Seattle. He didn't know I lived in Seattle. So we kind of removed ourselves from this meeting or catching up. And I'm like, what the heck is going on? Like, how the heck is he here? Like, in this tiny little suburb outside Seattle, like, what's going on? And he starts telling me, he's like, dude, my life has totally turned around the last few years. And I'm like, Taylor, what happened? Like, tell me. And he's like, dude, do you remember the last week we were on the team together? There were Bibles in all of our lockers. My heart dropped in that moment. I was like, uh, yeah, I kind of remember those. Like, <laughs> I didn't know where he was going to go with it. So, Play I didn't know cool. if he was gonna, Play it cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so he starts telling me, he's like, dude, my, I grew up going to church. I grew up being a part of youth group, but I got so tired of that stuff that when I went to college, I just decided to live life on my own. So he's telling me that for four years, he lived a college life. You know, he was animal house, old school, just living it up. And he saw a Bible in his locker that day, senior year. Last week of his senior season, he was he was honestly pissed off. Like, who's trying to shove this down my throat? I don't need mm. this. Mm -hmm. So he throws his aside, doesn't think much of it. He's going out to practice that morning. He thought he's the last one to leave the locker room. He hears a voice in the back corner of the locker room going, what is this? So he turns around, confused, because he thought he's the last one in there. And there's Mario, our kicker, sitting in his locker, thumbing through the Bible, going, what is this? Now, Taylor being our punter and Mario being our kicker, they were best of friends. They spent all their time together. Taylor turns around and screams back to Mario, come on, Mario. Like, it's a Bible. Let's go. We got to go to practice. Mario's like, no, no, no. What am I supposed to do with this thing? And Taylor said, for some reason, he just felt this nudge on his heart that he needed to go sit down next to Mario and, and talk about the Bible with him. So he goes and sits down and for the next 45 minutes, takes him through the Bible. He's sharing the gospel with them, sharing that every word written and read are the words of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the one who came to die to make you right with God. And I mean, Taylor's confused because he hadn't been to church himself in four years. He hadn't picked up a Bible himself in four years. But in those moments, something just came over him. And he was like, wow, like, these words just kept coming out. I had no idea what was happening, but it was just crazy. Mm. They missed half a practice that day. And Taylor said for the rest of that week, Mario couldn't put the Bible down. Every spare moment he had, every few minutes between meetings and bus rides, he was reading the Bible. And just a few days before our last game together, just a few days before he would pass away, Mario gave his life to Jesus, started following Jesus with his life. And Taylor has a front row seat to all this. His best friend is starting to follow Jesus all of a sudden. And he's confused. He doesn't really know where he stands on all this stuff. Hmm. And just a few days later, he gets the same phone call I did. Hey, did you hear about Mario? Mario died. And in that moment, obviously Taylor was overcome by grief, but he was also overcome by the love and the power and the pursuit of God 
to reach Mario in his final days on earth. And that in that exact moment that Taylor found out that his best friend had passed away, he recommitted his life to Jesus and said, God, you are real. <laughs> like Jesus, you're real. And I'll follow you the rest of my days. And so Taylor's telling me this four years later, he's like, yeah, my life's never been the same since. Like, how could God not be real after something like that? Like Jesus is real. God is real. I want to tell more people about him. And I'm like, Taylor, that's the craziest story I ever heard. And it's even crazier because I was the one that put the Bible in the locker. And all these years, I thought it was a total failure. Mm. And this, this is our God, you know, like this is what God is doing through each and every one of us here on this earth, that he's got an amazing purpose for all of us. And more often than not, we're not going to see the results in the moment. And just by his grace, he allowed me to see it four years later. But think of all the stories from your life, Aaron, from our listeners' lives that are out there, man, like, God, I thought I had a purpose. And he's up, he's up in heaven going, you do have a purpose. I'm working it all out. Don't worry. I got you. Whether you can see it or not, I got you. Mm-hmm. There's a verse, uh, Habakkuk 1.5, it's revolutionized my life, and it's carried me through all these years. It's look at the nations and watch, be utterly amazed. For I'm doing something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. So that's, that's God for all of us. God's saying that's all of us. Like, mm-hmm. Be utterly amazed. We talked about awe and wonder. Be utterly amazed. Be filled with awe and wonder. Because God is doing something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. I mean, like, imagine if God would have told me ahead of time of all this football stuff. Like, you're going to try out for the football team. You're going to make it. You're going to overcome injury. You're going to try to find your purpose. It's going to look like it's all failing. You're going to deal with the death of a teammate. You're going to work at USC. You're going to move to Seattle, work in the NFL. You're going to get reconnected to a teammate. You're going to find out that those Bibles were for a purpose. Mm-hmm. Like if you would have told me that all ahead of time, I would have laughed and be like, there's no way. Like that's, that's impossible. <laughs> you know, like the greatest Hollywood scriptwriter could never think of something that, that elaborate, that great, but that's our God. And that's what he wants to do through each one of us. So he has a purpose for you, Aaron, for me, for the, every person listening. So look at the nations and watch, be utterly amazed. God is doing something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. Yeah, that's excellent. And so, and I think it's just a good reminder, you know, for the inspiration of it, but also for a good reminder for people who are trying to follow God's purpose for their lives right now. And maybe they're finding it hard, discouraging to remember that, um, it's not their responsibility to like bring about the results of their purpose. Yeah. Right. Um, because ultimately like you follow what God, which you believe God was calling you to do, but God brought the results. Yep. Right. You yep. know, like you sent out the word, but then God made it all happen. Yes. And the same is true for every single one of us, you know, myself as a, as a pastor and, um, and, you know, and a writer and all the other things that I do that God's called me to do the things that I can do and then just leave the results up to him. Um, so we're called to do that. And then secondly, what I'm, you know, really gleaning from your story is the transformation that he brings about in you through you following his purpose. Amen. Um, Amen. That's something that I talk to people about a lot, especially people who are in positions of leadership and they feel this huge responsibility to produce something in their business or ministry, whatever else it might be. And they start to get overwhelmed with that sense of responsibility. And I always try to remind them, God's greatest priority in whatever situation he puts you in is not for what you can produce, but for what he wants to do in you. Amen. Like like the character transformation. And so that's something that I'm definitely hearing from your story as well. Amen. That's the truth. Because ultimately, like he changed Mario's life. He changed Taylor's life. And maybe even more so, he changed my life through it all. And and that's that's the beautiful thing of following Jesus is that he's using us to, to change the world, but he's also changing us in the process. Um, and that's what, what I need more than anything. I need him to transform me every day, uh, more and more. And that's the beautiful thing in it. I'm just, it's, I'm just in awe. Like God is so good and he is at work, um, whether we can see it or not. Yeah. Well, Ben, we're getting close to the end of our time here. Uh, your book that tells your story is called walk on it's available on, uh, Amazon and, uh, I'm sure in, in bookstores as well. Um, do you have, uh, anything else planned for getting your story out there? Any other, uh, is there any other way that people could maybe be looking forward to getting your story, uh, other than your book? 
Yeah, so the uh, a group of movie producers have picked up the story and they're working on producing that, uh, developing that into a, a full length uh, feature film mm-hmm. um, that'll hopefully they're aiming for 2022 right now. So we okay. still got a couple of years, but um, it, it'll be an amazing story to share on the big screen. I, I bet so. I'm really looking forward to that. Um, you know, I, 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 a little bird had told me that there was a movie coming. So that's why I asked. <laughs> uh, and, and after talking to you a couple of times now and reading your book, I'm really looking forward to it. I think it's going to be, it's going to be awesome. So uh, yeah. Uh, so before we go, uh, how can people connect with you and continue to follow you and what you're doing uh, in your life and your work? Yeah, my, I got social media all over the place. It's just my name, Ben Malcolmson, and my website is benmalcolmson.com. Would love to be in touch uh, with uh, questions, uh, whatever, in any way. I just would love to stay in touch and just be connected to all good people out there. Just, <clears throat> we need to be connected. We need to be encouraging each other on. So, yeah, yeah. thank you, Aaron. Well, Ben, thanks so much for your encouragement to us today and uh, sharing your story and uh, having a really good conversation. I'm sure I know that I was encouraged and inspired again, getting to hear it. And so I'm sure that a lot of our listeners will be as well. So once again, just want to say thank you for uh, joining me for this conversation. Thank you, Aaron. Appreciate it. Keep up the great work.